passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go. Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where the Seahawks have fallen to 6-6. Six and six, So they're not above 500, but they're not below 500. Uh, after a very disappointing 41 to 35 loss on the road at Dallas, why it was disappointing? Well, the Seahawks' offense had a somewhat of a revival. Geno Smith passed for 334 yards. He had three passing touchdowns. He also had one rushing touchdown. The offense really looked improved in certain areas, but ultimately, in a shootout, they came up highly, highly, highly short. Now. There's a lot of things that we can talk about in this game. For me, the main takeaway, other than the improved offense, is that the offense had some situational issues that kind of reared their heads at the worst moment. Crucial fourth down plays where it just went to crap. And then the defense, while Dallas is red hot at home and they went, uh, you know, they put up 41 points and they've been doing that in, I think that's the third time they've put up 41 points at home. The defense that Seattle's built and invested a lot of resources into is not playing well. Um, and more than that, they made it easy on the Cowboys offense because they gave Dallas six first downs via penalty, five coming on one drive and over a hundred yards of defensive penalties. On top of that, that third quarter drive, an infamous third quarter drive, um, 
that gave them four first downs via penalties. So five of those, pen there's five penalties on that drive, but four of them uh, resulted in first downs. And what I'd say about the penalties from this game is, yeah, there's, you know, the fact that the ball is overthrown or underthrown. It looks misplaced. But Reek Woolen, after the first time, kind of has to learn. And the, the Cowboys started picking on him and how he how he kind of, especially in press, he sometimes does kind of give up a big time, uh, big time, you know, when the route's going down the field, he kind of gets beat but then he recovers with his speed. Well, if you're recovering and then the ball's out and the receiver kind of gets that contact from you and goes down, then the officials will throw the flag, which they did. The only penalty I felt was egregiously poor was the, the Bobby Wagner defensive pass interference where he, you know, arrives at the running back, he makes contact when the ball is coming there, it's just the ball is misthrown and you're just rewarding a poor pass. But ultimately, you know, I think the rest of them were, were pretty fair. There's some where the receiver's pushing off and the DB pulls, but DBs have to be more subtle. You, you know, if you're a tall DB, you're going to get punished for that stuff. It, it happens time and time again, not just the Seahawks. Um, I don't know where you guys want to take this because, I mean, defensively, if I just read up the stats as well, Dallas had 411 total yards. Uh, they punted, there were zero punts in this game. Now, some of that was the fact that the team's offenses went through it on fourth down. So Dallas, of course, got stopped by the defense on, on fourth and two. Um, Seattle went for a two fourth down off. Was it? Let me, let me get this up. And, uh, they failed to convert, obviously. So defensively Jamal Adams getting beat for a touchdown by um Jake Ferguson the tight end it just spoke to like a lack of lack of control in, in coverage uh they seemed that Dallas had mismatches all over the field whenever they needed to get them uh the third down performance Dallas went 8 of 14 which uh feels less than than it feels like but they went one for two on fourth down i guess so yeah uh Witherspoon got beat and you know Dak Prescott is playing out of his mind right now like I don't know what the MVP candidacy uh, placement is right now but Prescott should be up there he he was so accurate he was so poised despite him being sacked and, and Kirk Herbstreet kept banging on about how Seattle's offensive line was performing really well despite Prescott getting sacked um, it was three times in the first half let me uh let me get this up. Um he was sacked four times in total. I felt especially in the kind of well, I felt most of the time really, Seattle rarely won fast. It was more coverage sacks on the back end resulting in like second effort and then Prescott going down. Uh, I felt the pass, pass rush really struggled. Boye Mafe had some flashes, but, you know, the, the opposite edge and then the kind of interior dudes, whatever Dallas was doing was causing real issues. Uh, really, they could do what they wanted in offense, and they kind of called plays like that. Um, and it, it was just an old-school kind of shootout. I don't really... 
I mean, chat, I don't really see any of those penalties that I wouldn't have called other than the Bobby Wagner one. Now, let's talk about the officiating. So what I found challenging was the the fact that uh, a key moment in the game. So on the drive, the, the four-minute drill that Seattle had, where, let me get the exact numbers... That can't be right. Oh, great. I don't have an updated. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so Seattle took the football over down 38 to 35. And they put together a a really nice four-minute drill where they got to a decent position, a third and four at their 49-yard line. And you're thinking, hey, let's get into field goal range maybe. And, and then see what happens from there. Gina Smith fires incomplete short left to Jackson Smith in Jigba, defended by Jordan Lewis. Jordan Lewis got there early, and, and the ball falls incomplete. And they flagged Bobby Wagner for that exact same penalty. So I've no idea why that wasn't a foul. And then the other one I had an issue with was them picking up the flag on Charbonnet, where he was face-masked. It takes them a while to throw it, and Seattle's sidelines are obviously appealing for it. The officials throw the flag, and then they look up. They're clearly looking up because it's weird at, at that stadium, AT&T Stadium. Everyone's looking up uh, when they're on the bench to go and see the uh, the video uh, board, which is in the like center of the field, hanging over the field. And the officials were doing that. They were just waiting to see a replay. And the replay showed contact on... It was DJ Dallas, says Henry, not Sharpenay. That's right. I did doubt myself. But yeah, the, the face mask on DJ Dallas. And you saw the defenders contact his face mask. And then there was a bit of a pull on it. You know, you, you couldn't really see um, finger in the face cage. But I think that did happen because his, his, his uh, face, uh, you know, gets ripped. But by letter of the law, it's a face mask. You've already thrown the flag. Why are you then picking it up again? Um, that that was slightly unusual to me. So those are the two the two real kind of officiate well three officiating gripes I have. But I don't think that's what lost this game. I think what lost this game is Seattle's coverage uh, defenders got absolutely worked. We we saw again Bobby Wagner have some real issues. I don't understand the touchdown to uh, Brandon Cooks. Seattle's running a pressure uh, zone coverage, playing cover three. Bobby Wagner's responsibility in that defense is to match up with Brandon Cooks as one of the three underneath players in the uh, in a three deep, three under coverage shell. It's trips, so he knows to his right, he he's not going to have much help in the, the the middle of the field and in the low area. But he just sort of steps. He kind of out leverages himself, steps left, left, left. Receivers broke under his face. He's play- he starts looking at the quarterback rather than trying to wall or put his body in between that receiver right on the goal line. And it's like a bloody easy touchdown for Dak Prescott. Jordan Brooks blitzes the B-gap. Doesn't matter. And that's that. So, yeah, w- Wagner's a thing. Um, but really, they, they kind of seem to... And there's a, there's a few other things where there's like space in other areas where it's like, well, that's kind of because they're allowing Wagner to drop in a certain way that isn't as, as intensive. But what I'd say is when they just started trying to play, you know, one-on-ones on the outside, 
they they really had difficulties. Um, both Reek Willen and Trey Brown had some tough moments. Um, Adit, where you're saying Quandre Diggs was a mess on the in-cuts all day long. What play are you talking about? There was a play which was over Bobby Wagner's head where Diggs is in the opposite hook curl. Uh, Brandon Cook's third and four, I think. It wasn't Diggs' responsibility. He almost made a great play to get over there, but it was on. It was really kind of Trey Brown needed to squeeze that dig better. But it's a, it's a tough beater, and also Bobby Wagner kind of took the cheese. Oh, yeah, Bobby Wagner also had that the play action route over his head. I mean, Dallas just, like, for the whole game, Dallas just did basically, you know, they they had little issues. The, the fourth and two, Jamal, which they didn't pick up. Jamal Adams did a good job getting outside into the... He was in man coverage on the tight end, uh, but he kind of recognized the play type and, and just threw himself into the passing lane to C.D. Lamb, and I think that flash of color put uh, C.D. Lamb off. Um... Robert says, regarding Bobby Wagner, the Rams played him much closer to the line of scrimmage so he could focus on what he's good at and didn't have so much coverage responsibilities. Why aren't we doing that? Well, it's a good question, Robert. What I'd say is, generally, the Rams are playing a five-down front. Um, so, generally, how that enabled them to use Wagner was a bit closer to the line of scrimmage at times. Seattle's playing a four-down front, and they're playing Bobby Wagner in the middle. So, if you play him closer to the line of scrimmage but he's he's meant to be covering the middle. If you think about a split safety defense, the guy in the middle of that defense, uh, so like in a cover four, cover six, even half quarter quarters, so cover eight, um, that guy in the middle has to kind of be part of that middle hook area, like not near the line of scrimmage or the deep area. The Rams really just played him kind of to the boundary on the running back, um, and he was able to play on the running back because they had five down at line of scrimmage, but he was just in less space as well. So different front that the Rams based out of, really. Um, yeah. So, now, I, I don't really know what else to say about the defense. I, I need to watch the film. It's massively long drives for Dallas, so let's talk about the time of possession here. Uh, Dallas had 36 minutes, 27 seconds with the football. Uh, they went 4 of 8 in the red zone. So Seattle did manage to clamp up a bit in the red zone. Um, they they forced them to settle for uh, two field goals. Uh, I don't know what to say. They just needed one stop, really. Um, OG3, we'll talk about the last play uh, in a second. So before before we talk about the pivotal moment, which I probably should have started with, but there's two injuries from this game. So we just spoke about Bobby Wagner. Well, Jordan Brooks, the, the weak side backer, the playing the jack position, unfortunately, he uh, injured his ankle. He was seen with an ice pack on... They The broadcast said it was on his uh, like groin, but I think... Or, or thigh, but I think... Um, well, I don't know. Maybe it's related, but... Um, Maybe he was managing that before, but it, the ankle thing doesn't sound good. He looks so upset on the sideline as well. And he's a massive player for Seattle. He's their best inside backer right now. He's, a, you know, even though he goes off the field in dime situations, he adds quite a lot uh, when he's on the field in, in the nickel stuff. So that's a bummer, and Pete Carroll seemed very despondent about that. 
The other injury is uh, Zach Charbonnet banged his knee, went in the blue tent. I think it happened on that fourth down play. And unfortunately, well, sorry. Fortunately, um, it sounds like he's going to be okay. Uh, Pete Carroll described that as a bruise. So Seattle with a few extra days rest, he might be good to go next week. We'll have to see if anything shows up. They might x-ray it, but it just sounded like a bruise. That's good. Vince, you're asking how did Devin Bush play after Jordan Brooks was hurt? Uh, obviously, I need to see the tape. I think he got away with a few plays in coverage where he's just a tick slow. Um, I think he did okay. I didn't notice him much. So it probably meant he played okay. Um, right, so let's talk about the, the critical plays. So this was a, a back-and-forth kind of game, and it really... It looked like Seattle's offense kind of just ran out of steam towards the end. But actually, you know, looking back on it, they had they had their moments, didn't they? That fourth quarter, they held a 35 to... They held a... Because the defense started getting some kind of stops when they needed to. Like, it was 35-27. Dallas puts together... Uh, a six-play drive, and, and they get down to field goal range on and, and, and a fourth and 12, so there's some real negative plays, incompletions, no gains going on there. They hit a field goal. Seattle's up 35-30. to 30. So you're like, oh, well, well maybe we could, uh, maybe they can go and win the game there. So on the third and 10, Geno Smith dumps it to, to Jake Bobo on a screenplay, and he gets just short. It was a nice screen. He goes just short, so it's fourth and one. And Seattle at fourth and one runs the ball. They go for it. I think going for it's the absolutely the correct call. You essentially are very close to Dallas field goal range. You could go up by, you know, eight points again, which felt significant at the time because, you know, they'd have to go and get a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Zach Charbonnet is unable to pick up the, the play. I, I, I think the, the play to calling a run play, I think, is fine. Demarcus Lawrence just showed that veteran experience he has in the league where he lines up wide on Charles Cross and that uh, Monjombo, it was at this, at this point in the game, it was 35 to 30. So my point, Monjombo, is in the fourth and one situation, if Seattle had picked that up, they'd have been at Dallas's like 45. They'd have needed like 10 more yards and been in field goal range, which would have put them up by eight. Um, if Jason Myers would have made the kick, which that's another thing we'll talk about. But yeah, so in that fourth and one, Charbonnet can't really do anything in that situation because Charles Cross is geared up to go. Uh, he's essentially thinking we've had Demarcus Lawrence is lined up to him. Okay, well, what I need to do is I need to get wide and chip Demarcus Lawrence and then climb up to the second level. But because it's short yardage, probably just chip him, but really wide to my left. But unfortunately, as Cross steps left, because he's really trying to go and get Cross and he's... Uh, he was really trying to go and get Lawrence, and he's really geared up for the short yardage situation. Unfortunately, Demarcus Lawrence stunts inside. Whether that was a called stunt or him just taking his shot or him lining up wide to then get back to where his like designated alignment was, we will we probably will never know. But it was a very savvy play from Lawrence, which got the fourth down stop. And that w was an unfortunate situation. I think I'm fine with the play call. It's just they out executed Seattle. Um, they, they, JTR, so 
they did it looked like they pulled a blocker but it's just split inside zone it didn't impact the play Lawrence just beat uh his block one on one got penetration yeah I don't think the the pull was of consequence um so then Dallas get takes the football over at the for, their 46 yard line which feels very very significant doesn't it and they march their way down the field and that's when Jamal Adams gets beat one on one by Ferguson he just looks so it was phrased to me uh, by a coach on Twitter saying uh, he was out of control and he really was cuz he was on the inside hip for the out route and then he just sort of like overplayed the 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 stem up the field like he just needed to stay on that low hip, the inside hip, but he kind of overran it and, and it left himself getting almost back shoulders and on, on an out and up route where when he's inside leverage to start off with, that is like not, and low, that's not uh, common. Uh, so Dallas then went up by thirty-five to th- uh, 38 to 35 on a two point. And then Seattle answers again, you know, there's that beautiful on the four minute drill, beautiful sh- uh, shot to uh, Jackson Smith in Jigba. And and then the the pivotal, of course, there's the pivotal um, incompletion to Smith and Jigba that I spoke about, where that probably should be defensive pass interference, especially when they called the one to Bobby Wagner. I mean, this was a clear example. And then on the fourth and four, which I need to watch back, but they get cover zero. Gino tries to lob it up to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, Smith and Jigba like breaks his route off in a slightly different way on the corner route. He also struggles to locate the football in the air, and the ball falls incomplete. And Gino says after the game, "How hey, that's something we need to get a lot better at." Um, if you remember Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it's a shame because there were so many positives to the offense, but JSN had so many. Uh, well, he had so many good plays, but that touchdown he caught, which was actually overturned and got Seattle down to the one yard line. That was a very similar type of play where Gino kind of just lobs it up. He finds the ball in the air on a corner route and he kind of comes down with it even though he didn't. Uh, but he located the ball and, and was able to attempt a, a catch. This play, he didn't. Um, and and I need to look at the protection because it felt to me, while Kirk Herbstreit was really praising Seattle's pass pro, and I, I want to talk about that in a bit more detail, uh, Gino Smith only sacked once. I'll, I'll get to why I think that was. In the clear passing down situations, Dan Quinn pulled uh, Shane Waldron's pants down. Like he absolutely nailed him. Um, he, he understood the rules that he was going to get. He knew kind of what plays they were going to run in the short yardage pass situations, or even just the clear pass situations. And the Seattle's protection was just tough out there. So then the final fourth down, which is the big talking point, is the the fourth and two. So it's just over a minute left in regulation. Seattle had got inside Dallas's uh, territory, Dallas's half, and it really felt like there could be a chance. Remember, Seattle was down by six points by that point. Uh, they, they'd managed to, to get a stop with Dallas. Um, and so if I, hopefully this doesn't um, get me get me done out here. Let me, let me share my window with you. Oh, I should probably get my pen, shouldn't I? Let me get my pen. But essentially they knew they were going to get man coverage. It's how Dallas had been playing the game. It's how Dallas had been going out 
um, out there. They probably knew they were going to get a lot of pressure. And so there's some interesting comments from this game. Can you... Uh... Oh, brilliant. I've messed it up. One second. Oh, no. Uh... Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Uh, yeah, JTR. So Gino did throw that last play up because there was a, a rusher in his face. That's absolutely why. That's why he had to throw it up because it was cover zero. Um, so they knew they were getting man to man. Now, with this kind of walked up look here, you know, I don't think any of those guys are actually, hold on. This is a D lineman. Uh, uh, that's a backer. Oh, let me do this. That's a backer. For all intents and purposes, Parsons is a... And they're also showing this as well. So, and you can see, you can kind of tell because he's capping this guy. So it's just, they're just showing cover zero and, and it's kind of like a death of, uh, a, a dare of, are we going to back out or play it? Well, they're really showing it. And this is next gen stats is uh, predictive data picking up that they're all going to come. So basically it's man here, man here, man here, man here, no one here, but they're, they're, they're bringing seven more than Seattle can block. So Seattle calls in a, a man coverage beater that they, they used in short yardage against the Rams, I think it was, or it might have been the 49ers, but they ran it in fourth and two. And essentially these guys all pick for this guy in the flat. These guys all run across the field like this. This guy who is on this guy here um, isn't going to play the back. So they're essentially saying, well, if I if if we're putting curse man on the running back, right, then you're going to have to run him through all of these people here. Or if you're putting this guy, oh, that's Demarcus Lawrence, if you're putting this guy, which is the linebacker, on the back, you're going to have to run him through all of this traffic here. So essentially, 
you create a massive load of space in the flat here. But as Geno Smith said afterwards, one thing they were expecting is Dallas just to rush all of them, right? And then do something called peel, which is something I use as a coach as well. It's a classic thing where you, you, you man pressure, right? So you run man coverage. And then the running back is the responsibility. If he releases this way, this guy would peel off his rush and cover him man to man. Or if he releases this way, this guy, so Mika Parsons, would would uh, Mika, Micah, uh, would peel off his rush with the running back into the flat this way. So if we play through what happened, you can see how the real it, Seattle would have, Parsons didn't peel off. They have the space out here. Right, here comes DJ Dallas. However, the problem and 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 uh pass protection wise, they're choosing we're gonna block down here because this guy's the closer guy to the quarterback. By the time Parsons gets here, we can dump it over here and, and make Parsons wrong. Um but the problem is the amount of push that all of this interior is able to get on the the line. Because watch DJ Dallas's release here. He gets caught up, and this rusher, he doesn't cover him, but he just knocks him off his route. So that while they're thinking Parsons might have to peel or we're just going to get everyone rushing games here, instead, this rusher knocks Dallas off his route. Gino has nowhere to go with the football, and um, Parsons' angle of rush is really good, and, and Dallas just calls a better play in. Now, every offense has to have good plays for each situation. But I, I imagine Dallas knew this was coming. Like It's a pretty clear indicator how tight this split is. You're expecting him to run a crosser. The back's location. From here, he can go over like this. The fact that they're bunched up like this, this is how Seattle runs it. They probably knew there was a high likelihood of this type of route beforehand. Um. Vince, you say they should have motioned Dallas out of out of something before the snap, right? Um, out. Well, you, you. I'm not sure what you mean, Vince. Uh, and Will, you're saying, seems like either way, that's a risky gamble on the fastest, best linebacker in football. Absolutely, it's a it's a risky gamble. Uh, it's a really risky gamble. But you're kind of using his aggression against him. Um, that's the idea, at least. Essentially, if this guy had taken the inside move and, and the Parsons had rushed like that, you've got this angle. The guy who kills the play primarily is this because Gino's not able to dump it over. So that's annoying. So. I wouldn't oh I wouldn't necessarily uh I wouldn't necessarily blame uh, Shane Waldron but um they just Dallas just came with a better play and whether that's their their primary you know whether that's too obvious given that's what they've been to before in this exact same situation then that's tough uh Dan Chu you're saying Abe Lucas lost his rep versus Demarcus Lawrence uh, yeah, kind of, because also Lucas had the inside leverage advantage, so really he needed to block the crap out of Lawrence down to move him further out of that kind of alley. 
Um, but yeah. So that was a kind of a, a bummer for how for how that all ended. How much do you factor in knowing a personnel bad matchups to put your guys into? I, I, yeah, well, this is the thing. In, in these important situations, you know, we, we can kind of overanalyze the play or, or hyperanalyze, and you, you kind of have to give the defense credit at times as well. Um, Will, you're saying you don't know if he tried to target Parsons on the play that either wins, loses the game. I hear you on that. I need to look at how Dallas aligns Parsons because it might be that he always goes to passing strength uh, in those situations and you can only run that play to the passing strength because you need to run it behind where the pickers are, are coming from, those pick routes. Um, but they're also trying to exploit Parsons' aggression and speed off the edge. And he did not cover, he did not peel off. He just went for it. Ultimately, Parsons was kind of wrong, even though his angle was good. The player who made the play was uh, 90. Is that Demarcus Lawrence? I, I don't know player numbers. I don't care anymore. I'm over it. Right, so that's the kind of the, the penalties addressed, the defense disappointment addressed, the key moments addressed. Now, why it was so uh, disappointing is... Geno Smith in the main played an absolutely fantastic game. He had 8.1 yards uh, per completion. He had 334 passing yards. Um, he had three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. And overall, Seattle's offense to me, oh, Paul, that's a, that's a good point to talk about as well. Thank you, Paul. But Seattle's offense to me looked a lot more balanced in this game especially on first and second down. And and really that's, well, on every down, really. They, they had manageable third downs generally. And to me, that's what kind of made the pass protection look good in those non-passing, like clear pass situations. The pass pro benefited from that. Gino Smith benefited from that. They went 9 of 14 on third down, so 64.3% above that 50% mark. We've talked about the fourth downs where they went 0 of 3, but... But for a lot of this game, they had very little issues moving the football. And Geno Smith himself was so dialed in, so accurate, uh, throwing the ball very early, as, as he kind of promised to in the week. That that first touchdown to DK Metcalf, where he hit a, a massive top speed, was was so, so exciting and, and, and such a tight window throw. And it's just throwing it that a tick earlier and letting his receivers make plays. That It just looked... It looked good. There was a sprinkling in of multiple tight ends. There wasn't as many negative plays. Uh, Gino was only sacked once. Um, Jackson Smith in Jigba continued his emergence. He had uh, seven catches for 62 receiving yards and, and was a really reliable weapon. On third down, they had some real kind of um, throws short of the sticks which we hadn't seen for a bit, and, and guys picking up still. The screen game continued to look good. We even had cut splits, condensed splits, where receivers lined up tighter, we even motioned into that to separate against man coverage on third downs. Um, yeah, Robert, so the, the idea of the in-breaking route to DK on that fourth down is is to 
um, create traffic for the defender covering Dallas if it's a guy on the inside. The corner wouldn't have been in the play, Robert, because it was cover zero. Um, or the corner might have tried to make a baller play out there. Uh, I, I need to because I know DK did come open, didn't he? But yeah, by design, yeah, the idea is that that DK really gets followed is running people away from where you're targeting or and then running them into the guy who's in man coverage with that route. Um, and uh, yeah, so Aditwa, you make a good point. So you say that there was no run game despite them being balanced, yet they only had 66 yards on 21 total carries. Charbonnet had 19 carries for 60 yards, 3.2 yards per carry average, one rushing touchdown. That is a big thing. To me, it's that they stuck with the run game and kind of, you know, even if it was only getting three yards, it it just kept them a bit more honest. They weren't dropping back loads in that type of game state. So I think that really everyone benefited from that. And, you know, Gino was throwing the ball earlier with, with um, real zip and and kind of throwing guys open like he spoke about. Now, the result you get from that is that pick that happened to Tyler Lockett where he targets that route and Lockett didn't run a very good route. He'll want that one back. He tried to kind of push off on Bland and Bland was allowed to pull in by the officials. It was subtle enough and Bland got the inception. But that's kind of the result of the approach that you're going to get if Gino's going to start trying to throw guys open and that situation, he was getting heated up so he wouldn't have had time to look to the next read. It was like, okay, pre-snap, we're going to go here. We know we've got a one-on-one out here. We're going to throw the out route. I've thrown it early enough. Tyler's just got bodied off that route. That's the sort of stuff which will happen. You kind of have to live with that. Uh, but Lockett always has to run a better route. And on the subject of Tyler Lockett, as... Um, was it was it Julian? I'm trying to keep up with the chat. Sorry about this. As someone uh, kindly highlighted, Tyler Lockett had that super disappointing drop on second down in such a big moment. And... I, I don't recall seeing Tyler Lockett that frustrated with himself. Um, you know, he gets up, he starts pounding the turf. Like I've never, ever seen him show emotion like that. Um, now, I'm trying to find it. I thought it was on second down. Was it on first down? Surely not. It might have been on first down. That's what I've got for first down, but I could be uh I could be off base on that. It was on first down, thank you. So yeah, that comes on the eleven mi- the drive where they have eleven minutes left in the in the game. Uh they're up by five points. Gino goes deep left to Tyler Lockett, who'd roasted Deron Bland again. And we'll talk about Deron Bland, how he was targeted. I mean, well, let's talk about it now. He got absolutely destroyed by various Seattle receivers, so much so that uh, DK Metcalf's performance in this game, uh, where DK Metcalf went for an really impressive six catches, 134 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns. But so much so that uh, Stefan Gilmore started shadowing Metcalf in the second half. But, um, yeah, 
the the locket catch one or drop sorry it's so uncharacteristic. Do you know through it early, Lockett just didn't get his hands up in time and, and he just dropped the pass and that brought up second and ten where uh it was an incompletion. Um they still got into fourth and one, which they should have picked up with Charbonnet. But I think if Lockett catches that football, I know he goes down, but it gets them clearly into field goal range, doesn't it? Um Yeah. That that was that was sad. Um Oh, so, and and we're talking about how not challenging Bland on an out route with Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I, I'd buy that. Now, what we should say about Lockett is he did come back, and on that last drive that Seattle's offense had, one minute, 43 seconds, the drive starter, Tyler Lockett runs a beautiful kind of uh, post-out route where he, he sells the double move well, and he gets out of bounds at Seattle, from their 25-yard line gets to their 42-yard line on a 17-yard catch. So while, you know, Tyler could have called game then, he he did his best to come back. Yeah. So I'd, we should hand DK Metcalf uh, a lot of credit here. He was really candid midweek, speaking about areas he needs to improve in his game. And he was a man of his word. He was outstanding today. He couldn't be covered. I think he benefited also from Gino just throwing it even sooner. Because a lot of those plays, he doesn't necessarily look open. Um, he had one kind of drop where it was thrown low. But, you know, the, the way he separated late on the deep fade, which Gino had been throwing a bit later, I think, because he hadn't seen separation. He wanted to give Metcalf the chance to run underneath it. But the, the one Metcalf caught on Bland was was really impressive. I think that was a... Um, uh, I can't remember. He also had that slant where it's so exciting seeing him in the open field go for 73 yards and a touchdown. So, yeah, I, I felt Geno Smith, like, in the circumstances, you know, if you think about the fourth down plays and what could, could have gone right, it's not really on him. To me, this is an example of what you can, well, they're not on him at all, the fourth downs. Uh, but to me, this is an example of what you can do with him when you're a bit more balanced even if your run game's not popping, you're a bit more balanced, you're a bit more varied of how you use your different personnel groupings, your formations. Uh, you start picking up first downs. He starts throwing the ball a bit sooner as well. Um, yeah, the the route running looked a bit more defined this game as well, a bit more crisp. Um, Paul, you're right. The, the miss to Disley was one, was one miss from Gino in this game. Tiny bit high. Although Disley like hopped one foot in the air. I know he's running, but I feel like Fant comes down with that. Colby Parkinson definitely does because he's six foot seven. Um it felt like the roots also on the subject of that, they kind of matched up more of their personnel. So like you had Noah Fant run a deep over route off play action versus a safety and go for twenty five yards, finish your day three catches, forty three yards rather than having Noah Fant play against press safety and run a pick route, which clearly isn't his strength. So you get the guys more advantageous matchups. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to say the offense is fixed because we've seen it before, but this was pretty much... It wasn't quite a complete game from them, was it, because of how it ended and the fact that it was 
Yeah, no, I can't say that. Fourth and one. Fourth and two. Yeah, they didn't quite get it done. Now, of course, the offense really should have scored um, more points. They should have finished this game with 38. Now it's the fun part where we get to talk about a Pete Carroll uh, sideline moment. So, Jason Myers managed after Seattle... um, Hold on. Let me find it. So Seattle down 10 to 7. They get to Dallas's 18-yard line, um, and they stall out there on the third and five. Mika Parsons uh, executes an inside move. Charles Cross against wide line techniques sometimes has difficulty. He was probably expecting a bit more help from his guard. He really tried to double the nose tackle. And the guard didn't get out there in time. Parsons is so fast, screams through the B-gap. Gino has to get rid of it, does a good job getting rid of it. And so Seattle has a field goal from Dallas's 18-yard line. And for some reason on that play, the officials moved the ball but didn't reset the clock. That's another moment for the officials that we can talk about or we can reference. I need to stop saying talk about. So Pete Carroll's heated on the sideline, and he's going at the official. And during that moment, when Seattle's now kicking from Dallas's 24-yard line, uh, sorry, still kicking from the 18-yard line, but their clock hasn't been reset, Pete Carroll suddenly screaming timeout, but I think probably because he's been shouting at the official about something else on his sideline, the official probably has zoned him out, and so no one hears it. So Seattle ends up having to kick a field goal from Dallas's 24-yard line, a 42-yard field goal, rather than a 37-yarder. And Jason Myers has to make a 42-yard field goal, but his entire process on that kick was massively sped up. It was like he was, it was like a golfer purposely, purposefully um, trying to kind of, uh, I always forget which way, slice or hook hit across the ball, so slice. It was like he was trying to do that. It was um, it was a bizarre miss. It was like he didn't realize that he had lots of time. I, I just don't, I don't know. But that kind of lingered over the game. Like, and as Aditwa points out, thank you, Aditwa, the 42-yard miss by Jason Myers dropped him to 8 for 13 on field goals on the road this season, 61.5%. This is the second worst percentage in the NFL. Only the New England Patriots, Chad, wow, Chad, Chad Ryland, 5 of 9, 55.6% has been worse. So, yeah, that that delay of game results in a miss, and it, it did linger over the game a bit. Like, imagine if Seattle, on that Dallas drive where they're down 38 to 35, imagine if they're, it's, 30, it's 38 all game. They still need to go and get points, but, you know... There's a few things that that does uh, influence, and and ultimately, regardless of how weird that that sideline stuff was with Pete Carroll and going at the official, and him then not hearing about the timeout or just not listening or just going screw you, you've been shouting at me, I'm not going to call the timeout. Jason Myers is paid a lot of money. He's currently on a twenty-one point one million dollar contract. It's a five-year deal. Um. 
there is guaranteed money in that uh, 8.6 or 8.7 million basically get fully guaranteed money and it expires in 2026 and this has been his worst year so that sucks <laughs> not, not much more to say about that let me have some coffee it's it's almost 7am here it's lovely i'm i'm just going to stay up Is he still the highest paid kicker? He might be. I don't uh, spend lots of time looking at uh, kicker contracts because I'm not sick. But yeah. So, is there any topics you you guys want to talk about from this game? Or should I move it on? And when I say move it on, I need to talk about the time for a second serving of pasta, says Robert. Yeah, pasta for breakfast, yum. I'm going to do something like deranged, I think. I'm going to go into London, have lots of coffee, write something. I've got a really good article to write for to finish for Seahawks on tape. I can now talk about how the route running was fixed in this game uh, and compare it to what went wrong in previous games. It can be a massive one. Um, the second highest kicker... Uh, highest paid kicker this season, according to Dan Chu. Thank you, Dan. Um, Aditwa, so offensive line-wise, I don't really have much to say about them. I, 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 do, I, I think the way that a commentator or an announcer, as you guys would say, talks about things, I think kind of really influences general perception. So Kirk Herbstreit was really positive about Seattle's O-line. I just think they help them better. But in I, I don't even think the O-line themselves are to blame for some of these clear passing down problems. I think Dan Quinn, like the Rams and the 49ers, in the clear passing downs, teams know how to really cause Seattle big issues in a way that if you're a bit more varied with your pass pro scheme or your pass pro calls, I don't think happens to other teams. Like, think how effective Sean McVay is at varying how many chip protections he uses to stop teams doing stuff like that. Um, look how teams pick up cover zero looks. Seattle seems a bit kind of predictable in, in or just to lack enough of the the options required schematically. So, yeah, I think I think the O-line played okay. It's also hard to evaluate uh, Aditwa because the ball was coming out relatively quick on, on most stuff. And then when it didn't, there's a problem, so I need the tape. Paul says, with the weak run game, do we blame the running backs or the blocking or the play calling? I actually liked some of their runs. Like, they, they had that kind of counter run where they, they pulled the backside guard and a, a tight end off the line of scrimmage. That was nice for Charbonnet. I think you've got to look a bit at the O-line. I don't think they're that predictable in their run game. And I thought Charbonnet was reading it okay. Again, need the tape, boring answer. JTR, I think Reek Woolen has the wit, the the whips, the yips. He looks confused and scared to do anything wrong. Yeah, so maybe he confidence position, isn't it? And this is probably the first challenge that 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 rookie year was kind of house money for him. He'd have been amazed, you know. One, he's drafted in the fifth round, but he's so raw to the position. 
His athleticism is a big talking point. He becomes a really fun story. Uh, he he get, takes the job. Everything's quite good for him, relatively easy. Uh, down the stretch, team started kind of hitting in cuts on him and, and, and picking on him in that way. Remember that 49ers playoff game as well? And this year, I think, is his first uh, real kind of adversity in the league where, you know, he has that knee operation. He has it scoped. I think he's still recovering from that movement-wise, honestly. I think anyone would be. And then now, he does look short of confidence. And the way that, you know, the way that they got at him by throwing that ball up and then the receiver falling down as the ball isn't actually that accurate or on target, that's something other teams are going to do, obviously. But it's been there all, all, all season, really, in press. He kind of is getting... He's not staying over the top of guys. They're kind of running by him. And then he's able to recover, but the ball doesn't get thrown. This game, the ball started getting thrown. He just started running into dudes. Reflect the sun. Thank you for the donation. If you want to donate, there is a very super, a very simple super chat link. Uh, there should be a Stripe link in the description. If not, the last video has one. Um, wow, 7 a.m. Thanks for getting up so early for the game and the review. <laughs> you think I got up for this? No. It's, uh, I don't even know what time or day it is. But thank you very much, Reflect the Sun. Um, yeah, I thought Woolen's tackling was better this game. I think that's fair. Adam says, you talked about Seattle's huge resource commitment on the defense, but the defense has simply not been good enough or consistent enough. Where do we go from here, Matty? Well, Adam, what will happen is, and I'll, I'll talk about the ramification to the team as well and coaching maybe. What will happen is they've got massive decisions to make it safety where they're investing a lot of money Jamal Adams uh, can be cut. Hold on. I wish my keyboard was working. Essentially, they've got options when it comes to Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, and Julian Love. There's a lot of resources there. The safety room might look a lot different next year. That's how they can reshape it. I think also uh, Bobby Wagner's on a one-year deal. And the weak point to the defense today Talked about Reed Woolen. He's in his second year. He's a young guy. He's coming off that injury. Trey Brown, Witherspoon had some tough moments along with some really kind of splash plays. But they're not getting enough splash out of their safeties. Jamal Adams is paid like that because of what he can bring as a blitzer and also when he's healthy in coverage as well. But today, you know, he hasn't really brought much as a blitzer and in coverage he, he looks like a kind of step behind at times. He's definitely not at his best. Can he get back to his best is the big question because obviously this knee thing sounds brutal. Like sounds like he's in agony basically after every game. I am you know, like I said, how when Woolen had that knee scope, it affected him. Well, this guy had his what is it, quad tenon torn off his kneecap. Like, that's gonna take some time uh to, to get back fully if you can. So there's a big decision to be made there, but ultimately they're they're putting a lot into those areas and they're not getting much out of it. And then Quandre Diggs is playing absolutely fine football to good football. But he's older. And, you know, can you get better value there? That for, you know, I don't think they'd move on from him, but we'll see. But honestly, having a middle, a middle linebacker who can't cover in certain ways or, or you, you know, you have to play him in a specific way to make it all work, it's a massive issue. We, we've just seen it. 
three three games in a row now, the impact that has on the defense. And I don't want to do a video on it because it's just depressing. It's, it's a Seahawks legend who, you know, seems like a, a very nice guy as well. And yet he's not, it's, it's a real problem. <laughs> it's such a problem. Um, yeah. Um, how much is the, oh, and, and, uh, Will points out, we really miss you, Chen and the Wosu. Absolutely. He, he is the best defensive player on the defense. I said that, uh, after week one, I said, can Uchen and the Wosu save the Seahawks defense? Because obviously week one went rough and it was a, you know, kind of a clickbaity headline, but he has game wrecking ability, not as consistent as the top, top guys, not that he's played like that either, but he he especially on first and second down when you know maybe they do a bit of play action maybe they chip he's really able to kind of read and take his shots and get pressure on the quarterback then and that's i think where he's most missed not on the third downs but on those kind of early downs where you just need a bit of pressure to move the quarterback up this off his spot i think that's where you know they need him but they don't have him so will in terms of scheming up pressure to me Part of that, especially on early downs, that comes to how much do you want to ask a Bobby Wagner in pass coverage? Because they tried to scheme up pressure on that Brandon Cooks, tu Brandon Cooks touchdown. Jordan Brooks uh, blitzes through the B-gap. Wagner's uh, responsible for that middle area basically relating to the third receiver, which was Brandon Cooks. And the technique he plays with is super, super conservative and just off. So, because he can't, his movement skills just aren't what they were. Noigash, do you think this defense would be better with a better scheme or coach? Could be top 10 easily, in my opinion. What I'd say, Noigash, is I think they definitely need to start mixing up their fronts more. And there's, well, we have to see what happens with Jordan Brooks as well. But there's things you can do to give Bobby Wagner assignments, which are, and I don't want to scapegoat one player, but there's a lot of like knock on effects to it. Um, like you, you. I mean, I was asked earlier by Robert how how the Rams used Wagner compared to what the Seahawks are. That's an option. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Okay, well, I think I've caught up with the chat. So let's talk about the... 
the ramifications for this team. So they're six and six. They've lost three games in a row. They now have to play the Philadelphia. No, <laughs> nearly. They now have to play the San Francisco 49ers. It's so weird. I don't understand why. Why do they play the 49ers um, again? Why, why NFL schedule on the road uh, next Sunday? So they get like two days extra rest if you think about the traveling and stuff. The 49ers obviously uh, play this Sunday versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, realistically, based on how to tonight went, maybe the offense can do something, but it seems like the 49ers have Seattle's number. And then the Eagles, who... I mean, unless Seattle changes or, or, or revamps their approach on defense schematically, potentially you see more bear in that game. I think they're going to have difficulties against what the Eagles uh, present for, for them. But also the Eagles are a damn good offense who present problems for anyone. And I just, you know, let, let's call it what it is. I don't think Seattle's better than the 49s or Eagles. So that would be five losses in a row. And it would be six and eight. And then you'd be needing to beat the Titans, beat the Steelers, who have a very good defense. Uh, and, and and the Steelers game is um, is at home. But... Titans on the road at a, a, a 10 a.m. start. It's tricky. And then the Cardinals game, which is um, on the road again. And Kyler Murray is healthy, and he occasionally causes Seattle issues, although I haven't been impressed with what I've seen from him this, this year so far. So maybe you could get to 9-8, and eight and maybe... And then the, the other factor to this is... the the NFC standings where the NFC is a very very poor conference this year so if you look at um you know the Vikings are 6 and 6 the Packers are something to watch for 5 and 6 the Rams are a problem at 5 and 6 um the Saints are 5 and 6 the Buccaneers are 4 and 7 there isn't many teams and the Falcons are five and six, head of the NFC, uh, what is it, South. So, you know, all Seattle needs to do is is win a few games and they'll be in the playoffs. But these next two are tough. What I would say is uh, they're not winning the NFC West now. Sorry for uh, the breaking news there. But this is an opportunity, this back half of the season to build on what they did offensively today, and that's kind of how Pete Carroll, DK Metcalf, Geno Smith spoke about it. The reporters are sort of shaping it. They need to build on the success they had and, and and you know, really kind of work on that balanced offense that they showed. Geno continue the, the kind of early throwing, um, continue executing and, and have, um, you know, less negative plays. Actually establish an identity on offense and, and be be good, right? Because right now they're still the seventh seed. Keep that up. And then on defense, they need to evolve a bit because they're in one mode, basically. They 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 play the same front every time. And yes, they move in and out of that front. But I think they've I think they need an extra layer or two. 
And I think they have that within their scheme, which is whether they can get in and out of that well. So, yeah. They, 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 they're experiencing a lot of the similar issues on, on defense to, to what they have throughout the season. So if you can start removing that. And then if, you know, if you win enough games to get into the playoffs and you've probably corrected some of the issues, but you're also fit, you know, hopefully heading into the playoffs with some semblance of momentum. OG3 asked, do, you, do I think there's a chance we change both the coordinators in the offseason? Yes. Yes, I do. But we'll see. It's big. That's so. That brings me nicely to not just for this, the rest of this season, but for the future of this franchise. The 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 remaining games are massive. The last time a Pete Carroll team lost five games in a row, it was with the New York Jets, and he was fired as their head coach. And that uh, that's that losing run started with Dan Marino, uh, the fake spike against him for the Dolphins for the touchdown. And it's very feasible that Seattle does lose five games in a row. 49ers at e- uh, versus Eagles at 40- 49ers. I would be so disappointed if they can't beat the 49ers at least once. Uh, and... They they did play very hard this game. I just think there's too many issues. Sasha asked, what happened to the Dime Packers on defense? Um, I think we saw it today, didn't we? Be surprised if we didn't. What I'd say, though, Sasha, is if it's third and shortish, they're not going to run that. No bro says, why did the Seahawks draft Devin Witherspoon if they're going to play cover three bail? Uh what what do you mean by cover three bail? Like they, they mix their coverages a lot. Um but yeah, you know, could Pete Carroll get fired this season? I mean it'd be an absolute shock because he's you know such an institutional figure within that organization. He's been there for so long obviously has an executive role as well, the team. But, like, if you went... I mean, how many how many games do you lose in a row before it becomes a real problem? And I think the way he's coaching, um, and, we you know, we talked about his sideline posture and how he looked really angsty and extra kind of into it, you know, I think he's feeling the pressure. Um Yeah, and, and also it's how, it's how you handle that. Uh, Novosos points out they could politely ask him to retire. I mean, yeah, you, I think that, that would be how it, how it works. Um, and, and then Adam says, does Jody Allen keep the team if Pete Carroll wasn't here? Well, that's the other factor, isn't it? Because like, the, the team does have to be sold at some point, apparently. So it, it can really, it could be a real domino effect from this year. Uh, we'll, we'll ha- and then, you know, what, Gino Smith looked really good today. I, I believe that is actually, you know, what he can be like most games. And then you kind of envision a bit more reliable pass pro, a bit more a consistent balance to the offensive system. And you can it's quite easy to envision at least a top 10 quarterback. That's what I've always said. But in terms, you know, if, if it falls off again, 
Well, then there, there might be a different quarterback. Um, and then, yeah, you, you could get a, a, a total regime change. It's a massive, massive point, and I tweeted before this game. Every game that the Seahawks have next up is their most important game until they win one of them because they're on this losing streak and they're right on the fringe of whether they're going to be a playoff team or not. The only thing really keeping them alive is the, the how poor of a conference this is. I mean, did you watch the Vikings-Bears game? So the way Seattle played tonight, they're a much better team than the Vikings and the Bears. Now, the Bears are irrelevant, but the, the Vikings... The teams to worry about for them are the Packers and the Rams. Especially with the fact that the Rams now can go ahead of Seattle um, and their remaining schedule is probably very easy, isn't it? Um, no, so they got they got the Browns, which mm, they might be done now. Miles Garrett's out. Well, he's, he, I don't know if he's out yet, but he's hurt. Ravens, Commanders, Saints, Giants, 49ers. Hmm, that's concerning. And then the Packers, the Packers schedule. Chiefs, Giants, Buccaneers, Panthers, Vikings, Bears. Yeah, so the Packers are a big problem. And, yeah. So, that, that's all I can really say. I, 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 what I think really is Pete Carroll's being let down by very poor areas of coaching that have gone on this season. When there's recurring themes to recurring negative themes in each kind of position, you know, on each side of the football, in very like highly specific areas which don't get addressed week to week, you think the head coach is coaching those specific things? No, it's it's the assistant coaches. However, you know, the man who is ultimately responsible for all of the coaching effort is the head coach. So you, you, you can say that, but, and, you know, it's not like Pete Carroll hasn't had a chance to hire assistants. Um, and yeah, Dan Quinn's defense did also get roasted tonight. Galen points out. Yeah, it did. Absolutely. It did. They just they just had slightly better plays when they needed them down the stretch. They played a bit more aggressive. Um, so, so what I don't get right is, and I really like Clint Hurt in 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 how he is very upfront with with the media. Uh, when he went on KJ Wright's podcast, it seemed really interesting. I don't understand how last year happens. Um, I still can't get over how they how they ran that defense. Um, with and, and it's kind of in, an indictment that they were unable to coach the the techniques required for that defense properly to their players and how they got the balance so wrong as a defensive staff. And then this year, it seems the balance for the offense has been completely off. And now the defense is. Um, seems to be kind of lacking in, in details again. I don't know. Yeah. 
but uh as i've said at the start i wouldn't um i wouldn't fire pete carroll and i will admit that i'm very biased towards pete carroll i've always been able to see the vision like the, the i've always been able to see the vision um that makes me sound like i don't know but to me w- watching the defense every every year bar last year the kind well even last year to an extent but the schematic direction of the defense was very clear right uh, it, what they're doing made sense. It's just every year it seemed they lacked talent in in the key area. So for a long time they really lacked uh, the amount of pass rushes required, um, and that's where you get into like personnel discussions, right? And being an indictment of the general the general manager and some of the resource the, the resources that they're spending. Um, this year. I think their big problem is Bobby Wagner is their their middle linebacker. Um, Jamal Adams isn't fully healthy, and, and you can kind of tell if he's playing, but he's not having the impact that he's being paid to have yet. Could still happen. I, I really do hope he can he can get back to his best 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 stuff. He's still doing really good stuff, but it's not like that. Wow, that's a big massive splash! Like wow, we can use him as a blitzer and a passing down weapon. Um, and then Nuosu got hurt. Who's your best pass rusher? I see in the chat you're arguing about... Um... So this is the first year I've almost felt that they had enough of the personnel to make things work. And I, at the start, I was like, the scheme is, is built, but they're so rigid and sticking to like... When it's like a neutral down, they just stick to that... Um that nickel over overlook and yeah, they stunt and yeah, they call different coverages and yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately you can, you could play a tiny bit of bare fronts when you need to present a different uh, picture for guys. And then I don't, the, the offense is, I mean, tonight was a big positive and I don't want to, I don't want to overlook that. Maybe that's something they've found, but, We'll see, won't we? That because I I don't know how some of the stuff which has gone on on the offense happens in the NFL, and that's not just a Shane Waldron thing. That's like a Sanjay Lyle thing, something we spoke about on um, the film room. Was it Tuesday? Like the the way that these receivers have been coached, some of their roots is like, huh, that's interesting. And and how there's been persistent issues with that. Although maybe tonight was a bit more defined. Galen says, I'd like to see them go to college for coordinators like the Baltimore Ravens did. McDonald and Monk were great hires. They could hire Ken Norton Jr. Heard of him? UCLA linebackers coach. Um... OG3 says, seems like every year Pete Carroll has to step in and get his hands on in like week 10 to fix the offensive defense. It absolutely does. And it's really weird. It's really weird. And then if that keeps happening, right, then maybe that's a problem with how the whole thing is constructed by the head coach. Because, I mean, the defense seems to need to be fixed at some point each year. I mean, at least I'd say t- tonight there was a few things schematically, defensive-wise, uh, and then a few things personnel-wise. But really, the the penalties is such a uh, yeah. 
But that's, you know, it's not like they haven't had penalties thrown on them before on defense. These corners have been like low key getting penalties thrown on them. And there's like an interesting moment from the Trey Brown mic'd up segment from the 49ers Thanksgiving game where he's saying, uh, he tried to push me. I'm playing catch technique in the end zone to the passing game coordinator, Carl Scott, who coaches the DBs. And Carl Scott's like, yeah, but you're se- it's seven yards. You can't put your hands on him. And he's like, but he's trying to push off on me. Not really, didn't seem, he's frustrated in the moment. And it's a little snippet, but didn't seem the most receptive to that at the time. <laughs> so clearly they need to get after each of them somehow. Um, chat, do you have any questions for me? Uh, otherwise, I think I've covered, I think I've covered this game. I think I've covered um, where they go from here. You know, there's it, definitely some some foundations on offense that I they, they need to be able to lean on. Uh, they got to kind of point to this game and, and not not forget how they did this. Um, yeah, I should have mentioned that the Cowboys had nine penalties for 127 yards. It was definitely a flag-filled game for both teams. Monjombo, do you think they trade any players in the offseason? Who would they trade? Like, who's who's trading for Seahawks players? Also depends how the year ends. But to me, I don't think they get like the value that they view the player as. So I think they're, they're having to do it at a cut price. So I, I'd say no right now. Like the what one player you could trade like hypothetically is a hypothetical question. So forgive me for getting hypothetical, but Quandre Diggs you could trade, but like what are you getting for a veteran, you know, thirty plus safety? It's not worth doing. I don't think. Makoto, I think that's a new name. Nice to nice to see you. Uh, can you summarize why Bobby Wagner is a problem? Yes. So he is unable to change direction uh, quick and, and fast. And so that has a few effects. One, at times he sort of is overplaying a certain play. So the plays he does make sometimes is because he's sort of not guessed, but from his veteran experience, has got to the spot and because he sort of knows he has to be ahead of it mentally so that he can make up for that physically. That's at least how it comes across. But what that also means is, like on, um, remember the Debo Samuel uh, shovel option play, which the 49ers scored where Wagner was a step behind the play. But that's that's because he cheated the other play and didn't play his responsibility on the play. Um there's times where that can cost the defense if you start cheating to certain things. Now, the other thing is Seattle's playing a, a system. It's basically over front where Bobby's in the middle of it all. 
which means whenever they put two high safeties, he's like in the middle of the the coverage of the underneath coverage, and his job is to get to like the the third guy in the pattern, and so there's times where he's just he he's just behind where he needed to be, or he's unable to break as quickly into a window, even if it's thrown outside of his area. Um, he's in the middle of it all. There's also techniques where he's dropping really deep because he's worried about getting beat deep by a certain route, which he might have to cover, but then they get a different type of pattern. So say they get a receiver breaking shallow in, and it's his technically responsibility to let the deep safety in the shell take that deep route and then break down underneath to cover the the over the, the middle route, the shallow route. And he's un- because he's dropped so deep because he's worried about the deep route, he then doesn't take back that route. Uh, and so it's avoiding the, the defense. Um, and then finally, that kind of blends into the fact that the uh, offenses know that he's only going to play. Um, he's very unlikely to be in man coverage on a running back. That would be Brooks, right? Or or Adams, but Bobby won't be. He'll be blitzing or a rat a rat defender in the low hold, basically covering grass in that low area looking for like the shallow crosses and then in zone coverage they know he's most likely just to sit in the middle of the field uh, in the split safety stuff and then in one high they know he's very unlikely to turn and run uh, in, in a weak hook they kind of know he's just going to drop and, and, and vision and, and break and and last year the cover three they ran at times was very very aggressive like they were very good at co- uh, playing cover three last year uh, and very tight coverage because everyone was really kind of matching. And this year, it's a lot more kind of vision and break. Um, and that's kind of to accommodate Wagner. So it kind of limit, limits your options because you you all kind of have to play on the same page with your teammate. Um, so, I mean, that was an attempt at summary. It's quite difficult because obviously, you know, I'm not looking at film. Maybe I should do a video on it, but it's very depressing. Yeah, Adit, well, I will do a podcast on views on theoretical roster construction. Uh, that's not my strong point because uh, I'm I'm not a massive expert on the salary cap, but I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Uh, but that'll be after the season. Um. Makoto, you're saying it just, I see that it just seems like he's everywhere, but that may just be by design. So yeah, in the run game, he, um, he is in the middle of it. So when the ball hits up the middle or, or goes outside and he's still good at finding the football, right? But, um, he's not in, 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 in coverage and also certain run types are a bit of a problem. DK Metcalf trade says Adam Carter. After tonight, that's our topic. I don't think you'd get back what you want. No bro asks, is Tyler Lockett cooked? Uh, well, he drew that DPI, didn't he, down the field? And it was like one of the first vertical targets I remember him getting. That out route against Bland was disappointing, but... 
I felt he played fine today. Uh, he certainly looks to have lost a bit of an explosive step down the field. But Cooked is a bit strong. What's the biggest need on the team right now, asked Galen, guard or linebacker? I'd say linebacker, inside backer, although that's not accurate. It, it is guard. If you had like a stud guard, it would really help. It was cool to see Abraham Lucas out there. I should have mentioned that during the main thing, but... Yeah, because I think, you know, if your interior is, is really just, like, giving you a solid floor each week, you know, not only does that help the run game, but I, I think that just raises Gino's floor so much. And obviously offense is very important in this league. Well, the good thing about both those needs, though, is obviously uh, NFL-wise and how those positions are regarded, how they're valued, they are not the most expensive things to pick. Albeit, if you want a fast linebacker who can run fast and is slightly bigger, you generally have to pay a high pick for that. Like, when I say high pick, day one slash round two, like, I think where Jordan Brooks went. Um, but the good thing about Brooks is, hopefully he, he's healthy, but... And they have a decision to make there too, don't they, about his... uh. About his contract, they they have to resign him. But the good thing about Brooks is he he can play Mike. So you could get a slightly what that means is you get a slightly lighter linebacker, more kind of not coverage oriented, but more of a weak side backer than a middle backer uh, who could play on the uh, you know who could play next to Brooks. And yeah, we do have Olu Oluwatimi, who's going to work his way in at centre, I imagine, next year. No bro saying, I know Bobby Wagner's cooked, but this team cannot re-sign Jordan Brooks to a 15-plus million dollar contract. I don't think he'll earn that now. But I think that's part of why he looks so disappointed on the sideline. I could be off with that. We don't know. I mean, he's, he's probably bummed. He's not helping his teammates. And he's injured again. It must be so frustrating, but... Especially if he thinks he's serious, though, you don't know what the ramifications are for his deal next year. But Brooks at, Brooks at his best is easily a $15 million contract player. Easily. Uh, Makoto, thank you so much for your comment. Um, and yeah, please do participate more. Noigash says free agency will be nice at middle linebacker next year. Will it? I, I haven't looked at that. I haven't looked at that. Yeah. 
Anyway. Uh, Majombo, when the players are looking up, they were they were watching the screen because Dallas has that big uh, like jumbotron in the in the center of the field. Novosos says the Seahawks pass rush ran out of gas in the fourth quarter. Dallas's didn't. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I don't know if Seattle's pass rush had much in the whole game, to be honest with you. A lot of it was cleanup sacks, so it was coverage sacks. They they found it difficult. Adam, exactly, Monjombotron. I always put an enough before the J. Majombo. Majombo. I don't know why I find that difficult. My apologies. Um, yeah, well, that's a bummer. I'll be back on Tuesday with a film room. Keep an eye out on... Uh, Hopefully today, I, I need film from this game. But hopefully tomorrow, maybe Sunday, I'll have an article on the route running, a like massive one. Um, I, I've wrote 5,000 words on how the defense fixed this run defense and all the, the history behind that. And they haven't really, have they? So, OG3, do you want to get banned? Do you want to get banned? Because, as you know, OG3, I'm not afraid to ban you. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll film room on Tuesday. Um, is it Clint Hurt not doing good enough pass rush plans? I mean, they're trying, Dan. They're trying. I... I Every time, it just seems like other teams have slightly better pass pro, um, and that's that's the that's the other thing with this system is um, uh, not this system this this uh, schedule schedule. They they've beat like like look who Seattle's beat on this. It's it's disturbing, so they've beat. The Lions, good win, 37-31. 8-3 Lions. <laughs> They've beat the 1-10 Panthers, 37-27. Tight one against Andy Dalton. They've beat the 4-8 New York Giants, 24-3. The only convincing win of the season, although the offense wasn't very convincing. And then they've beat the 2-10 Cardinals, 20-10. Tight one. And... Seven and four Browns, twenty four to twenty. Mm, not convincing, scary backup quarterback, but still beat them. And then finally, they beat the Washington Commanders, who are four and eight, twenty nine to twenty six. That's a worry, and yeah, that sucks. Dan, you're saying he's a defensive line coach on Clint Hurt. You are. He's actually... Uh, Clint Hurt this year is working with the outside linebackers. And um, I think Will Tukuafu and... Is it Damian Lewis? I think they're coached the D-tackles. The D 
Um, Sasha, wow, that's like um, that's like replacing Gr Griff's role here with with that kind of positivity. We should remember we're technically only in year two of a rebuild, and this is the first season we've not had the Russ contract lingering over our cap. That's true. And from like a roster building standpoint next year, there's, well, this off coming off season, there's so many interesting decisions they can make. Like, I think they have a lot of kind of room to play around with stuff. That's why the, the you know, the Leonard Williams acquisition, if, I really hope they can get him re-signed. Because it, it it felt like they were kind of being sensible and 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 like rebuilding, and then to push your chips in, they haven't gone all in, but give up their second round pick when they've been uh, making some interesting picks there. It is interesting, Monjombo. Uh, with having no cap the next two years, they'll do something about that. Like I said, decisions at safety. Uh, but I also think they are going to restructure people and just keep pushing it down the line. Sasha, I miss Griff too. But uh, I know people are asking about Griff. He, he's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, I know he he appreciates uh, you guys asking. And uh, yeah. I don't have um, anything else for you. So, yeah, hopefully an article out Sunday. I need to think about how I'm going to do my run article. Maybe a Quanjay maybe a Diggs video, maybe a DK Metcalf video, maybe a Geno Smith video. I had worked on a Diggs video. I just didn't get it out in time and my voice was struggling. Well, let me know what you'd like to see, and uh, that's that's all I have. Hope you have a good. At least you don't have your weekend ruined by this. Um, we can just pretend that it doesn't matter. Which does it matter? Does any of this matter? I I don't know. No, thank you everyone for tuning in live. I I really do enjoy it. Obviously, with me just doing it as well. It is, uh, it's great to have your comments and to be able to interact. And it's nice to see you guys also sort of discussing with each other, seeing what's uh, going on. Oh, M M Mika Parsons quotes on the fourth down play. He, he thought the back was going for him. Great. Drink some recovery water to wake yourself up and clear your mind. I'm just I'm just gonna drink coffee. Adam, that's the first time I've seen Seattle Overload podcast called SOP. There you go. Well, please do like, comment, subscribe, five star review for the pod. Follow me at Matty F. Brown. I see that's not actually on the screen, but ah oh well. Uh seahawksontape.com where it's been a while since I've done an article because I've been working on two big ones but one big one should be out fairly soon I'm going to go into London, have a coffee get a cheeseburger write the article and uh, and go to bed <laughs> <laughs>